says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me in the co-host seat is my good mate, 60s. It's the preview edition of the podcast, mate. Good to have you on board as we look forward to a very busy weekend of football. Mate, it's uh, very good to actually be out and about. Came out of ISO yesterday. Uh, managed to avoid uh, contracting COVID within the household. And uh, yeah, out and about and ripping and ready to go. Yeah, and speaking of ripping right into it, I'll let you introduce our first guest on this week's show. Well, given that it's the Thursday show, it's our time to introduce that man behind the mic, uh, 2GB's very own Spiro Christopoulos. Spiro, what do you got for us this week? Guys, great to chat again and a little bit disappointing last week that we couldn't get the win at Shark Park. The atmosphere was unbelievable there and first game back in Cronulla for the Sharks. And I think uh, we were sort of the outsiders, maybe not in the betting markets, but I thought we were the outsiders in terms of that clash because having the home crowd around you and the motivation of trying to win your first game back at home is always going to be massive. And our record at Shark Park hasn't been great. We've actually lost now Four straight games there, which hasn't been done, I think, since the 70s or the 60s, which is pretty crazy. And it was a little bit frustrating because we had the chance to lock the game away late in that second half when really we probably didn't deserve to win the game. But we just couldn't get there in the end. And a little bit of a lack of discipline cost us the result in the end. But I think we were lucky as well that the scoreline wasn't any bigger than it was because after that first half, Cronulla looked really dominant and they could have put easily another couple of tries on us. So frustrating, a little bit disappointing, but I think perspective is key as always. And as annoying as losses early in the season are, it's not the be-all and end-all. And we've proved in the past that many teams actually have proved in the past that they can start a season poorly, but go on with the job as the season goes on. And Manly are no greater example than that. They did it last year and who knows, they might be able to do it again this year. But yeah, a little bit frustrating. But I guess we move on to this week and focus on the Storm Clash. In terms of dissecting last week's game, just a couple of pointers. And what I'll kick off with, guys, is the last minute or the late change uh, with the interchange bench, Jake Arthur in for Bryce Cartwright. It was a little bit odd and there wasn't a lot of explanation as to why it happened. And, and not... Uh, pointing fingers at any individuals here, but it was just a little bit unusual. And I think Bryce Cartwright is a fantastic utility, especially in the forward pack, but he can also play in the back line and slot into the halves or at 5-8 if we need. And Jake is fantastic as well. And he played quite solid in that first round against the Titans. So it wasn't like he didn't deserve to be there, Jake Arthur, but I just thought Cartwright might have been the better utility to have. And to let him have a go. I actually got mail a couple hours before from an anonymous source that called into the open line on 2GB, which was quite interesting. And basically they said, well, I've got word that come an hour before on the team sheet, Jake Arthur will slot into the 17 and Bryce Cartwright will go to 18th man. And I sort of didn't really believe the guy, to be honest. And you've got to be careful with this stuff because it could be anyone that's making stuff up to try and get mail on the radio, which is false, and mislead us and mislead our listeners. So I didn't really think much of it. And then when it came around to an hour before kickoff and I saw 
that Arthur was in there. I was pretty shocked, to be honest. But it was just a little bit of a bizarre selection. I'm not sure if Mitch may have been carrying an injury going into the game. I know that he had a bit of a cork, a quad cork injury in that second half, and he was a little bit niggly at times during the match. But I think Cartwright has to be the man there in terms of utility role. Jake Arthur's fantastic. And I think the beauty about having Jake Arthur there is he can slot in anywhere in the back line, whereas Cartwright is probably only able to slot into the halves, not really in the on the wing or in the centres or somewhere else. So interesting selection, a little bit of a surprise to the system, but it'll be interesting to see what they do as the season goes on and once Jack Arthur recovers from this appendix surgery and, and where he'll come into the fold. Yeah, well, he, he actually became ill on the on the sideline on uh, during the game, which was interesting, and then um, taken off to hospital that night. So... Uh, probably fortunate that uh, he didn't come onto the field. But uh, any time mm. you have those sort of selections, you can guarantee it's not a, li- a last-minute change. It's a last-minute um, uh, advising of the change. So they would have prepared for that all week, that, uh, that they had Jake on the bench rather than Bryce Cartwright. And uh, as I said, it's just a, a late-minute advisement rather than a late-minute change that the team wasn't expecting. But, um, yeah, yeah. It, look, it is it is going to be one of those interesting things because uh, Bryce Cartwright played on Sunday with the reserve grade, and I think the important thing for him at this stage is actually getting some game time because he didn't play in the first round with being the 18th man and, and being uh, rested from the reserve grade game, and now he's... Uh, got his pretty much a full reserve grade game on the weekend. So he's in a better position, I think, to be used, not to be underdone. Yeah, fantastic. That's what you want to hear. Time on the park is crucial. And I guess, as you said, lucky Jake didn't get on in that game. And I think everyone was sort of wondering why he didn't come on. But it's understandable with that news this week that he had his appendix taken out and he'll be on the sidelines for a couple of weeks. But as you said, game time's crucial, I think. Cartwright's an important piece of the puzzle. He proved that in a couple of games last year, and I think we're going to see that again in season 2022. In what capacity? How many games does he get at first grade coming off the bench? I guess it all comes down to injuries as well, and if there's a free vacancy on the bench there. So it'll be, as you said, very interesting to see how that pans out as the year goes on. Mitchell Moses, I think he played solid over the weekend. It was a better performance than what he put up probably the week before Against the Titans, he was a little bit more, he had a more presence on the field and that try before halftime was just so crisp and brilliant and a little bit of a flashback to the Jared Hayne days with the chip and chase, which I liked and enjoyed seeing. But he was targeted and that was quite public in the media after the game, the club lodging a complaint to the NRL to make that known as well. But as we spoke about last week, uh, protecting of the player. And we'll, we'll speak about knees in the tackle a little bit later on, but specifically what I was pretty frustrated about was the tackle that Teague Wilton had on Mitch after he kicked it and pretty much lifted him and took his legs legs out uh, straight away. So it was quite disappointing. The NRL have always spoken about targeting and making sure that the kicker is always protected, but I'm not sure if that's the case anymore. We heard from Mitch on the new Fox League show, Benji, which is quite quite a good uh, little series, which is happening at the moment, as I said, on Fox on a Monday night. 
Mitch was pretty upfront in saying that he doesn't feel protected as a seven. And, and not just with him, but I think a broader issue of halfbacks not having that protection that they may have in the may have had in the past. They might, might need to look at this, the NRL, because Teague Wilton wasn't Simbin. He did cop a weak suspension. But the key is that if it's a foul play on a Parramatta player, there should be some benefit or sanction in that game to benefit Parramatta and make up for that foul play because Mitch had an injury at the time as well. He was carrying the quad, the, the corked quad, so it could have ended pretty ugly. And once again, talking about dispensation and looking after players and compensating an eye for eye and tooth for tooth, it probably wasn't the right call on the part of the referee. And I think they need to look at this whole issue of targeting the seven and targeting the halfback. They need to do something about it because it could get real ugly, boys. Even if yeah. Mitch, I was, I was just going to say, sixties. Even if Mitch hadn't spoken up on Benji to Benji, um, it's something that's really been troubling me for a while. Is that Moses has not been afforded the same protections that other halfbacks and other playmakers have been in recent years in the NRL. He's been systematically targeted by opposition players who feel that they could try and disrupt him by getting to him with a bit of foul play or off the ball niggle. Um, and it's starting to come to a head. And the Eels took the extraordinary step of, for the club, at least, of uh, per report this week, going through official channels to lodge complaints. They've had enough. Mark O'Neill has, uh, uh, you know, lodged a, a complaint to you know say the NRL needs to start addressing this matter because teams are starting to go well past what is uh, considered even you know blurring the line when it comes to attacking Moses. I think probably the extraordinary part of that is not so much the going through the official channels, because I think the club does that most weeks in terms of putting in a report um, how they felt that the game went. And that's pretty much why they they don't go and they don't go and say anything in press conferences. If they've got anything to say, they just go through the official channels rather than to make any any sort of media thing out of it. So for me the extraordinary part was that coming out in the media. And I, I'm, you know, I'd only be guessing as to how it came out in the media, where the, the word was dropped that, look, this is something we're going to raise in our official report to the NRL. Because, as I said, I think the official report is pretty standard. The um, having media cover what Paramount is putting in the official report is the, is the extraordinary part of that. And, and just to that, I... Um, on Spiro's side there as well in terms of the sin binning because for a start one of the things that uh, that has come out in um, support of the sin bin in recent times and and the really the reintroduction of the sin bin is because of this where the team that's that's had the foul committed on them don't get that advantage as Spiro said so the sin bins brought in that if you if you've committed a serious enough foul where you're going to get suspended, that the benefit comes against the for the teams that play your team in the future weeks, where you've got a weakened team because of suspension. But if if the team's been fouled against, they don't get any advantage. And I think that tackle by T. Wilton, there's no there was no grey area about that. That was a horrible, horrible tackle. Mm. Horrible, you know, could have been a horrible consequence, but looked awful. And there was no other way of judging it. And to me, that was a straightforward sin bin. 100%. I think it was one of the most awful worst tackles I've seen at least in the last 12 months of football. The way that he picked him up, put him over his shoulder and dumped him on the ground 
it was horrendous. And they've got to do something about it. We had Paul Gallen on our coverage on 2GB Continuous Call Team on Saturday. And obviously with the, the Sharks' bias, he thought that it wasn't a simbin. But when push came to shove, the reality is that it was definitely a simbin-binning offence. He should have gone for 10 and that might, and once again, as we spoke about last week, these split-second decisions can have impacts on the results of matches, NRL matches, and that's the issue. Because it, just say Teague Wilton was Simbin, Parramatta put a trial two on, we would have won that game. So it's these little minor things which cost results and really determine the outcome of the game, especially in close contests like we saw on Saturday night. So without a doubt, should have been a Simbinning, and it very well could have changed the result of the game over the weekend. Well, you just but, flagged you wanted to talk about knees in the tackle as well. And I think, yeah. that's, I think that's really worthwhile following on too from that um, that attack on Mitch Moses. Yeah, Jesse Ramian put the knees in the tackle after Mitch had grounded the ball. Very, very similar to what we saw with Jaden Campbell the week before. And we also saw something on Sunday afternoon in Newcastle with Dominic Young copying the exact same treatment from the Tigers 14. So it was it's a concern, and we spoke about it last week. The NRL haven't done much about it. I think it's been a little bit more publicised and a little bit more present in the media. Mitch was very frustrated after that t- tackle came in. He was vis- visibly quite aggressive, and the boys had to come in and sort of calm him down because it just it's not on. It's foul play. It's after the ball has been grounded and the try has been scored, and there's no intention there to actually tackle a player, it's foul play. The intention is foul play on the try scorer. And they've got to look at this as well because we're not just seeing it at a Parramatta level, we're seeing it across the league. And the NRL, once again, need to review this and sit down and say, look, this is foul play, this is not on. They've been so conscious of getting the head, head stuff right and head knocks right, and they've done that well, and that's successful. But they need to now look at other aspects of the game which need to change as well. Because that can have serious ramifications, knees to the ribs or knees to the head. It's just not fair and it's not on and they've got to really change and do something about yeah, it. I'm, I'm 100%, 100% with you here, Spiro. And, but the bizarre thing about this situation is usually when fans jump onto what they've identified as a problematic area in the game where someone's skirting the rules or, or has like a, an approach to a certain aspect of the game that is clearly dangerous and is going to hurt someone, we sort of sit there and say, well, they're not going to change it until someone gets seriously hurt because obviously they don't care. But in this case, we've seen a player have his chest caved in and his lung punctured already, and the NRL is refusing to take action. So I don't know what's going to spur the NRL into you know, actually taking a step towards fixing this issue of the knees being slid into the uh, defenseless, defenseless try scorer because Sean Russell already is going to miss half a season or thereabouts uh, with serious injuries. Does it mean does it have to happen to a star player? Does it, is it got to be one of the you know the marquee fullbacks, a James Tedesco or a Tommy Tabojevic? Is that who it has to take for the NRL to say, you know what, this is not on? I'm going to be cynical and suggest that uh, that it happens to maybe a, a club that's um, going to go off the deep end in their reaction. So the Roosters and, or Melbourne or yeah, yeah. Um, so and and I'm not talking about you know. Um, uh, a club that's favoured. I'm talking about a club that's that goes off the deep end about it, as we saw um, last year with Trent Robinson. And, and and I mean, let's be honest as well. The NRL did react during that game, didn't they, or, or straight after about you know this isn't on. So I mean, you 
you knew that it was going to be well, a suspension. Was, Ab- was, it, was it Abdo or Volandis that came out at halftime calling Fox Sports to uh, complain about what had happened because he'd been spoken to in, in the Dylan Brown uh, incident against Drew Hutchinson, and yet here we are, fast forward uh, less than a year ahead, and that we the, what we're hearing is a complete contrast to what we've seen in the past. They just do not care about player safety. Yeah, it's it, look, it's just not good enough. It's um, as you said, like, and and as I wrote in my column, if you normally say, "Do we need a serious injury?" and well, hang on, we've actually started with a serious injury, and the players haven't got the message. And the reason the players haven't got the message is there was no action or no suspension. The match review committee, with that incident on Sean Russell, acted as Sean uh, acted as Jaden Campbell's defence counsel. They provided the reasons that what he did was okay. Now, that is, as far as I'm concerned, that's just not on. I think it should be up to the match review committee that if this incident looks serious enough, you put it forward to go to the judiciary and then the defence counsel for the players can present their case. And if it's strong enough, then the judiciary will find the player not guilty. And I don't know how they could have found him not guilty because... His technique, Jaden Campbell's technique, was shown to be dangerous with a couple of other tackles. I think there was Sean Lane and Wonga Blake, where he had a bit of that sliding knee action. And and it all has to do with that method that the players have where they get down low and they're sliding on their hips or, you know, with their knees forward as, as their way of getting down low. Now, I can't see how that is a better technique or a technique that can be defended by a match review committee who go, well, how else are they going to stop a player who's down low on the ground other than to get down on the ground themselves in a sliding position? Um, I, I point to things like the uh, when players are charged for striking a, a, a player across the head, when the player falls into the tackle, and the tackle will sometimes be below hip height, sometimes as high as knee height when it's made, and the player's arms can actually be beside them as the as the contact's made, but that doesn't matter. They're they're as as you mentioned before, Spiro. They've they've gone about protecting the head of the players, but you know that's you, you can get accidents with that. It's just like there's no protection when there is the the crusher tackle. The players don't go in to make a crusher tackle. The player falls yeah. in against them, and they've got and, no choice. Yeah, yeah. So. Here, there is a very clear choice. There mm. is a choice that's made about the type of tackle that the player makes, and they have to realise that there is an accident waiting to happen by sliding in knees first. And I cannot believe, I, I, I am stunned that this is allowed to pass muster, and I'm not going to stop banging on about it because I honestly believe that there is going to be another serious injury, and there's nothing to indicate in round two gave no indication that this is going to stop. Um, someone mentioned to me as well that it was there may have been an incident in the Manly and Roosters game. Um, and, I, and I'm not going to name players because I haven't seen the incident myself. But uh, again, it was a, a, a case of a player sliding in as a try was being scored. Um, so that might be worth any of our listeners, want if they've got that recorded, they might want to go back and have a look at at that, so um, yeah, look, uh, uh, this goes beyond Parramatta because I don't want to see any player put out of the game 
with a serious injury resulting from knees to the body. That, that's right. And, and thinking back a couple of years, guys, just off the top of my head to State of Origin when Jared Hayne was in his heyday, I'm pretty sure that there was a tackle that he made and the knees went into the try scorer after he put the ball oh, down. And the, it was an eight-point try. Grand, or was it well, it was, was a, wasn't it? There was a grand final qualifier where he got one of the Goodwin brothers – uh, against the Bulldogs, where he had to go to the judiciary and f- and fight that. Um, That's right. And then there would have been a couple so other instances yeah. too. Obviously, Billy Slater comes to mind too. He obviously led with his legs and knees quite often to the point where the rules actually uh, changed. It, it's just the so there's no good that can come out of it, and very, very, very bad stuff that can when you lead with the knees like that. We've already seen what happened to Sean Russell. Uh, you know, Mitchell mm-hmm. Moses got a cork out of what Jesse Ramian did, and you could see why he took ex- exception to it. It's just, and I think um, in the wake of the Russell injury, it might have been David Riccio, uh, but one of the journalists that joins the 360 panel early in the week mentioned that the Eels uh, went back after what Drew Hutchison sustained with uh, Dylan Brown in 2021 and said, we need to change our approach to what happens in a try-scoring situation, boys. If you're going to make a tackle, you can't bring the knees into it because what you like what we did to Hutchison is, you know, it could happen to us and you don't want to see it ever happen. And so that's why the Eels haven't had an issue with the knees being led into tackles since. And it's, it sounds like an approach that a lot of other clubs could use because, you know, no good comes from letting for these. And and just on that, our our backline stocks are, are, are diminishing with injuries. And, of course, two of them now have come from um, these sorts of um, – well, one was the um, – Hip drop. The – the hip drop and the others has been the knees. So we've got, we're missing two players from our foul acts. And we spoke about that last week, but we do have some backline um, issues around backline depth. And uh, Spiro, I believe there, you know, there was a bit of um, talk around this week that we might've picked someone up, but it didn't come to fruition. Unfortunately. Yeah, that was the case on Tuesday. There was talk that Jermaine Asako or earlier this week, Monday or Tuesday, that Jermaine Asako was maybe going to come to Parramatta just for the remainder of the 2022 season before heading up to the Dolphins on a three-year deal just to cover and help our backline stocks with all the wingers out especially. And he can slot in really anywhere. Fullback, winger, not too much, not, not as much centre, but uh, fullback and winger. He would have been a great little addition to the team, I think, and he also kicks goals. So... As good as Gutho is with stepping up and kicking goals when Mitch is injured, I think having someone like Asako there that can slot in to the back line wherever you need and perform quite well, it would be a, it would have been a handy pickup. In the end, he went to the Gold Coast. Now, it was quite unusual because the word I was getting and, and through my conversations in the media with other journos, the word on the street was that he was coming to Parramatta. It was pretty much locked up but no official paperwork or documentation had been completed but there was a verbal agreement and the handshake deal between Asako and Parramatta they had spoken and they knew that it was going to happen but there was a last minute backflip and I can sort of understand why and they might not have come out and said it publicly but he doesn't want to disrupt his family, he's got kids and his wife they just want to stay up there, live there for the rest of the year and then transition across uh, to the Dolphins and the Gold Coast is only really an hour commute so it's not that far Whereas Sydney, they would have had to relocate, move everything, find a place here, and it might have been too disruptive for him, and he's used to life up there. So, as I said, it would have been a handy pickup. There are still a couple of wingers and a bit of talk that we may 
put a bid in for someone like Xavier Savage from the Raiders or someone like that to cover our, our wing stocks. But Asako was a little bit disappointing and it was just really bizarre. I don't think I've seen a, a certainty of a player going to a club and then all of a sudden a huge backflip. A few memes were out there as well. The blue and gold, right? He went to the, <laughs> the yeah, blue that, and gold of the Parramatta. Yeah, the, the Dobbo got the wrong mail. He was told he was going to a team wearing blue and gold, so he made the connection <laughs> to Parra, but it was the Gold Coast. Yeah. Uh, I, wouldn't be, I, I wouldn't be surprised. But a, yeah, it was, it was quite funny, and it is what it is. It's an unfortunate uh, play that we missed out on. There was talk a few weeks ago that it was going to come, and then that went quiet, and then all of a sudden again, it was on the cards. That release came through. I got my hopes up and, and everyone on the socials got their hopes up when they got that release through from the Broncos saying that he'd been uh, let go from the remainder of his contract at, at Brisbane, but then it didn't eventuate. So a little bit of a shame. He would have been a great little addition, as I said, but didn't come to fruition in the end. Yeah, and now we've got, uh, as we come off a loss, who else do you want to play but the Melbourne Storm after they had a less than impressive <laughs> Uh, victory over the Rabbitohs. Yeah, huge game this week. And our record against the Storm hasn't been too bad the last couple of years, especially last year. We beat them twice, which was a huge effort and huge achievement. And a couple of times with a bit of a full-strength side. This week, obviously, Melbourne are slightly depleted. No Harry Grant. Tyron Wishart is out as well. And Jerome Hughes is out. So they're going to be depleted, especially in the hooking stocks. And it's a key part of their spine. But Melbourne, as we know, will just turn up, they'll put everything to one side and they'll probably play quite well. But I think Parramatta are going to have more fire in the belly. They're going to want this win more than the Storm. And they haven't been convincing the past couple of weeks. Although they won last week against Souths, they weren't very convincing past halftime. And Craig Bellamy was visibly quite frustrated even at halftime with the lead that they had. And it was pretty obvious that he was just a little bit unhappy and underwhelmed with the way that they're performing and putting their sets together. And I think that this week they may get a rude shock if Parramatta come with that fire in the belly that I was talking about. They might be able to produce a bit of an upset at Amy Park in Melbourne. On a side note, multicultural round. I really like this from the NRL and it's long overdue, but a great idea from Peter Volandis and Andrew Abdo celebrating all the nations that make up the league. And our club's a great example. We've got so many diverse or players from diverse backgrounds, you know, our side, but you look across the game, there are so many cultures and guys like the Travojeviches that have the Serbian background and um, even within our own club, an interesting one, which I'm pretty thrilled about, Sam Luizu. Samuel Luizu is actually Greek. There aren't many Greeks in the NRL, but yeah, it's, it's interesting to discover and learn more about the if. range of nationalities in the league. Pappenhausen, uh, uh, the Netherlands, so quite interesting. It'll be a great round and I'm sure that we'll see some some great uh, maybe try celebrations honouring certain cultures and, and we'll hear players speak about that as the round goes on. But in terms of our game, I think big, big match against Melbourne. I hope, I hope we get the win. Before, before I let you guys go as well, just another thing I thought about moving back to recruitment is Josh Hodgson. There was a lot of talk this week. He's played his last game for the Raiders, did his ACL. He'll be coming to Parra next year. But I'm going to stand by what I said in last week's podcast that he won't make it to Parramatta. He's going to get medically retired. He'll have to have the relevant checks and medical reports done on him before he makes a move to the Eels. And I don't think he's going to get through, unfortunately. So we have to start thinking about plan B, plan C. We've got Brendan Hands there who could be a good option, but he might be a couple of years off first grade. Mitch Rain as well. 
but is he suitable to take the reins and take over Reid Marnie and slot in with that style of play and really lead this team? I don't know. But bit of disappointment, I guess, for Para fans and Raiders fans that Josh Hodgson has done his ACL. He's going to have surgery done. And will he make it to Parramatta? I don't think so, but you just never know with these things. Definitely one. Well, that's a, that's, a big, that's a big call that he's not going to make it to, to Parramatta. Um, yeah. it, it's because uh, that's a... You know, you you wouldn't normally see players want to miss out on a payday, and no uh, way. And uh, yeah, so it will be interesting to see uh, what happens there. Uh, he would remain under the care of Canberra during for his rehab or the majority of it. And I would imagine that if he does join Para, he will still be rehabbing at the start of the preseason. Just looking at a a bit of the rough timetable of what you'd need for an ACL, let alone a third ACL, I would imagine that um, in that instance, he by the time he got to Parramatta, he'd probably be doing his running at that stage mm-hmm. just to build the strength up in the knee. That's at the start of preseason. And um, probably wouldn't start to see any um, contact or, um, or any sort of opposed, joining in opposed work until... The new year, so yeah, it is a it is a long road, and I, and and I suppose that's the decision that he'll have to make at at the age that he is at the stage of his career, uh, coming back from the third ACL. So um, yeah, let's uh, let's watch that space and and see how Spiro's call goes there, um, mate. It's uh, yeah, big big weekend ahead. Um, what's your thoughts on how the um, uh, the NRL has looked over the first two weeks. There's been a bit that's been made about the smaller winning margin this year, that mm. it's the smallest that it's been going back for a, about 10, 11 years. Yeah, I'm really liking it. And I had the same observation, especially after last week's round of matches, starting on Thursday night with that golden point thriller in Melbourne. It was a, a great round and we're seeing some exciting footy thing, you know, matches coming down to the wire and, and that's what it's all about. We don't want to see blowouts. And I think that was the issue in the past couple of seasons that fans weren't really liking what they saw, especially in the opening rounds. You want to see competitiveness. Even you go to Friday night's game, that early match between the Dragons and the Panthers was a lot closer than what everyone thought. And I think the Dragons, as well as a the club, they're, they're going to do all right this year. They're going to pull a few upsets off and we've got them next week. But, yeah, I'm, I'm loving it, to be honest. I think all the matches so far have been really entertaining. We haven't seen too many blowouts. Canberra are going to struggle this year, I think, with so many injuries and, and key players out, especially in the spine with Jamal Fogarty and Josh Hodgson out for the year. But it's been really, really good and, and enjoying it. And I think that the NRL have achieved what they wanted to in the first place, and that is to create an exciting brand of football, which fans are going to enjoy. They're in the entertainment business. And we hear PVL, Peter Valandi, speak about that all the time. We're in the entertainment business and we want to create a good product and something which our fans enjoy and like watching. And I think that they've really done that. And it'll be interesting to see if that continues and if we keep seeing these close margins. But it's been a great, great first few weeks of the competition. I've got a a quick theory and uh, Mm. we'll soon see whether it's the case. But I'm thinking maybe it's come about because of the tweaking of the six again. And Definitely, the, yeah. And that we're, I mean, we're getting the penalty that's down at the, uh, at, at the end of the field uh, before the 40-metre line. So you're getting a little bit of that rest that happens where there's the, 
the penalty, they take the kick, um, you know, that side of things. But it's it's not that. And, and of course, the, the converse of that is that we're not seeing one team that's using that six again to uh, keep another team stuck within their uh, quarter line and getting some dominance there and fatiguing them at that end. So I think there's a whole uh, range of com- uh, range of uh, reasons around that six again that led to the extra fatigue, that it led to the extra possession for a team. And I, I, I think maybe the tweakings helped. Mm. Um, I, I didn't like the rule for a start. I would have been quite happy if they just had a said, look, let's get rid of it. But, you know, the tweak is a bit of a compromise. And I'm just wondering whether that might even be one of the reasons for the um, the closeness. Good theory to have, I think. And I agree. I, it changes the whole dynamic of the game, the six again rule. And, and a tweak, as you said, is a fantastic compromise because it keeps fans like myself who actually enjoy the six again happy in the sense that it's still there and it, there's still a presence and it still has a role to play. But it also doesn't necessarily disadvantage teams when their opposition's taking advantage of it. And it just helps, I guess, slow the game down a little bit more as well. When you get a penalty, you kick it downfield and it's been, yeah, it's been good. But I agree. I think I think that's had a huge difference and a credit to Peter Valandis and the NRL for making that call. And they know what they want to do. They know what they want to achieve. There was talk this week that there are more rule changes to come in terms of the scrum and, and reinventing the scrum and giving it more credibility, which is fantastic news because I think that's one part of the game which they should be looking to make a little bit more interesting because right now scrums are pointless. So it was a good move, and I think it's having a great impact on the game and the product. Well, mate, I think we might uh, maybe dig a little bit into the the scrum next week when we have a bit of a chat. But as always, a brilliant segment, and uh, thanks for joining us on the tip sheet. Great to chat, guys. And as I said, I think it's going to be a great game, and hopefully Parra get the win and can uh, silence a little bit of the criticism that's been aimed at the club on the side this week. Well, we'll look forward to having you join the tip sheet next week to take us again behind the mic and around the NRL, mate. Thanks very much, boys. Have a good one. Catch you later. See ya. And we'll keep the show rolling without Spiro, although obviously we're very grateful to have him as part of the tip sheet. Uh, we've got previews, we've got news, and we've got a little bit of a weekend review we get into 60s. But let's start with the news. And to do so, we'll have uh, the Anchorman crew count us in. News team, assemble! This week on Parramatta News, joining us live from the scene in the 60s. But not much to talk about, mate. Obviously, we mentioned Jermaine Osaka going to the Gold Coast Titans with Spiro. Uh, but outside of that, it's mostly just more injuries as um, the Eels rack up an incredible toll in their injury ward heading into round three of the NRL. Uh, joining the existing injury crisis, I suppose, we can probably dub it now, uh, the club is Mitch Rain, who's going to be out for one week with a sternum injury. And uh, young Jake Arthur, who Spiro touched on, had an appendectomy, which means he had potentially appendicitis. Um, and thankfully, the club got on top of that before it could rupture because that can be a very, very bad outcome. But yeah, that means we now have uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of our top 30 players out of commission, mate. Yeah, not good. And uh, yeah, just further to Jake Arthur, as I mentioned when we were chatting with Spiro, that he became ill whilst he was on the bench during. Sun, uh, the clash with the Sharks and uh, 
yeah, very fortunate when it's something like appendicitis that the last thing you would have wanted would have been for him to be on the field and then come down ill while he's on the field and then get a hit in the wrong area. Could have been could have been very nasty. And there's, there's not really too much you can do about that if everything is fine. And then all of a sudden, um, as people would know that have had appendicitis, uh, can can seem to come on quite suddenly. And, uh, yeah, he's... He's had uh, the appendectomy and uh, is going to be out for a number of weeks. So uh, that's unfortunate for Jake. Had a very good preseason and, uh, well, exceptional preseason. Uh, was getting the nod at the start of the NRL season. So uh, a few weeks out and um, uh, before we see him again. Yeah, and so Jake out for those couple of weeks and gets back into the action following that, and maybe he gets some ice cream at the hospital too. You, you know, usually appendicitis comes with a nice little scoop of ice cream, but yeah, thank hey, you. Are you confusing that with tonsillitis? Oh, true, tonsillitis, that's true. But no, we, you, get, you get your ice cream too for appendicitis when you're a young lad, but in Jake's case, he probably probably doesn't get treated like the, <laughs> the young. And, but yeah, so <laughs> thankfully nothing too serious coming out of that for Jake, and they managed to get him to hospital in time to just get a straightforward appendectomy done. But yeah, that, that sort of brings a, a cap to a very boring Parramatta Eels news cycle. We mentioned Jermaine Osaka earlier. Obviously, the Eels will still be in the hunt for a flanker, but right now they're making do with Wanga Blake on one wing and Bailey Simonson on the other. Um, yeah, but- um, look, I, I thought I might as well throw in as well a little bit of feedback about the Jersey Fleet yeah, result. Exactly. Um, we, at the time of our Instant Reaction podcast, we simply had the result of the match. Uh, wasn't uh, covered by uh, streaming, and we weren't able to get out to Shark Park last week. But I have managed to get vision of the match uh, where the Eels were victorious over the Sharks, 22-12. to A uh, very, very tidy performance from the Eels' flag team, mate. I uh, watched them in their trial against Penrith up at Penrith Park, caught their uh, unlucky loss to the Dragons, at Kellyville, where some crucial calls um, were missed, uh, crucial calls that didn't go their way. And, and and to be honest, I thought that was easily the difference between winning and losing, but that's football. Um, there was no fluke whatsoever about their victory over the Sharks. It was a continuation of their form that they displayed in uh in the previous week and even even in the loss to the Panthers, which I thought had some very good moments. Um, uh, quite tidy, the, the spine doing a, a terrific job. Um, both Ethan Sanders and Dan Torrey Louie got on the try-scoring list as an indication of how well the spine is going. Uh, Corey Fenning, who they picked up from the Roosters last year, has, has been in outstanding form, and I believe he was the 18th man on standby mm-hmm. for the New South Wales Cup side the following day as a result of his strong performance in the uh, the flag team. And, uh, yeah, he was he was outstanding at the uh, in the trial against the Panthers at fullback. He was shifted to centre and uh, made some breaks playing at centre in the match against St George, was back to fullback this week. Very, very good performance. I, I just like the... The, the forwards really functioned as a unit. You've, you've got the, the spine that were doing a, a great job in their distribution to the, uh, to the back line. Um, yeah, just, just a lot to like about that performance. And 
Um, the the players, uh, I think the players they've elevated from the SG ball, um, the likes of, uh, well, I mentioned Ethan Sanders, uh, Charlie Geimer out in the centres. Arthur Miller-Steven on the wing. Uh, yeah, Arthur Miller-Steven, who'd been playing at fullback for the SG ball and uh, has played now fullback and wing for the flag. And, and of course, Larry, Larry. Mwagatutia, yeah. who uh, is coming off the off the bench in uh, in that flag team. And I'll tell you what, he's um, making a – well, his, his physical presence out there is making a mark. So uh, lots to like about that. But I, but the player I wanted to mention from that match that I thought had a, a, a cracker of a game was the prop Jack Colavardi. He was rewarded with a try right at the end. But I, I really liked his involvement, his carries. I, I just thought it was – I thought he imposed himself on the opposition. So, um, yeah, I think there's uh, there's going to be better times for our, our Jersey flag team. Didn't perform well last year. I know the competition was shut down partway through, but they certainly weren't going to be heading towards finals football last year. And just on what I'm seeing so far, I'll make a call, an early call, even though it's just one win, one loss, I'll make an early call that they will play finals football this year. I'd certainly be surprised if they don't, um, based on what I'm seeing. But, of course, it's a long season and um, anything can happen. But, um, yeah, they, they're showing good early signs. Yeah, promising signs under new coach Simon Wolford, the germ, putting some really strong uh, guidance and influence on the, the young charges in the under-21s there and getting them playing some... Uh, solid football across the park so definitely uh, something to look forward to every weekend now speaking of looking forward to the weekend mate let's jump into our previews got uh, what is it seven games of football on the weekend now with the NRLW yeah seven so starting off with a triple header out at Redfern Oval now known as Ironmark High Performance Centre Eels taking on the Rabbitohs which makes sense given that it's Redfern across the Tasha Gale, Harold Matthews and SG Bohr the action kicks off on the Saturday morning at 10 o'clock with the girls Natasha Gale, our high-flying Eels, sitting in third on the ladder, looking to all but lock up a position in the finals for a win this week. And they're going to be um, taking a couple of changes this week because um, I believe they had a little bit of a COVID outbreak across the squad last week, which was what facilitated all those changes that we saw against the Bears. But at fullback is Debbie Doohy. Uh, Alicia Bell comes back onto the wing and give the Eels her sharp shooting skills from the kicking tee. On the other wing, we see Amina Kanj. In the centres, Patessa Leo and Tamira Liardi, who replaces Jacinta Tui. Uh, in the halves, Talara Bambut and Rosemary Breckett remain that wonderful duo that the Eels have had pretty much all season since round two. Uh, in the forwards, Petalina Atoa and Captain Ruby John Kennard will be the bookends to Ashley Pottinger at dummy half. In the back row, we've got Talisha Maeva, Kayana Lakeni, and Sama Tarari. On the bench, Casey Q, uh, Mela Nukuo, Akualu Lala. Uh, then Leilani Tua and Holly Chapman with Catalina Vave as the, well, it's the 18th lady, but the 19th jersey on her back. They're taking on the Rabbitohs 60s. Uh, they're right down the bottom of the ladder, if I'm not mistaken. If I quickly pull up the Tasha Gale ladder, uh, they are, yes, they're winless on the season. They've got the one draw to their name, which was the washed out round uh, back in round four or five. So this is a, a game that for all intents and purposes, our girls should take care of, but there can be trap games in the junior reps. Um, now, first of all, I'm I'm going to assume that uh, uh, Jacinta Tui wasn't available. Yeah, because she was outstanding against the North Sydney Bears. Yeah, yeah. So whether she's injured or whether this is a, you know, a COVID case, we don't we don't know, or a, a you know, a household contact. There can be any all sorts of reasons why you're unavailable through 
um, through COVID. But yeah, she had a she had an outstanding game. But um, look, you never take opposition for granted um, in in any of the grades. And uh, look, one that comes to mind was the the final round last year where the Sharks were uh, had already qualified for finals football, and the Eels um, had had not managed to qualify, but they gave Cronulla a touch-up in the final round last year. So, um, you know, they were probably signalling that they have got improvement in them in that final round last year, and uh, we've certainly seen it this year where um, they've got the, what is it, three wins, one loss? For our our girls? Yeah. Uh, They are, I believe you're right, I think it's uh, three wins, one loss, and... Uh, one draw, which was the washed out round, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so they've got the they've got the cancelled round. They've got the bye, uh, three wins, one loss, and the loss and... the loss was a a tough, like very hard fought game against the competition leaders, the Sydney Roosters Indigenous Academy. Yeah, and and it's probably fair to say that they had some opportunities, and they've probably gone on to play some better football yes. since then. Hundred percent. So... I was actually speaking to Hamish about this to Ham. Um, if if you put this team that we have now up against that round one Roosters outfit, bearing in mind that the Roosters obviously have growth on the field too, but our Eels are much much better equipped with you know the uh, four rounds or, or four played games under their belt now to go back and beat that Sydney Roosters team. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So that that kicks off, and then we've got um, the uh, both the Mats and the SG Ball coming off last round wins, much needed last round mm-hmm. wins. And uh, that, whereas in the Tasha Gale, the Eels will be the heavy favourites based just on ladder positioning, uh, in both the Mats and Boar, it's much closer. Uh, for the Eels, there's a couple of changes in the Harold Matthews, which kicks off at 11.30am. In the back line, it starts with Muhammad Al-Madin at fullback. You've got Luke Maroon and Richard Penasini on the wings. Penasini moving from centre to wing this week, where he had a real good game in the centres, actually, against the Bears. But speaking of centres, Michael Gabriel on one side, Junior Fagalele on the other. In the halves, it's Blaise Talangi and Lorenzo Talatina. Front row, uh, plenty of beef there for the Eels. Big Sam Tuovati and uh, Jacob Bobby John will be the bookends to Matthew Arthur. In the back row, we've got Shabel Shahadi, Tyrese Lakeni, and Kobe Herford. On the bench, Zaitis Muagatutia, uh, Sebastian Piocala, Jordan Uta, and Jordan uh, Faliono. And then 18th man is Josiah Finaluto. They're taking on the Bunnies. And like I said, it's much closer here in the mats. I just pull up their ladder. Eels are just outside the top six. They're gone seven points from five games, which is two wins. That drawn game for everyone that was washed out uh, and uh, lost two, uh, as well as the bye. But for the Bunnies, they're just below... Where have they gone there? Yeah, they're uh, five points, uh, which is two wins, the one draw, and three losses, no buys. So the bye being the difference there for the Eels uh, <clears throat> right now. But yeah, they're coming off a game against the Bears, Parramatta that is, where uh, they got sort of out of, in their way early on and then got out of their way to, to, to run away with the game. Um, it's something that's been a real consistent issue for the boys in the mats and the ball has been the errors, uh, you know, the costly turnovers or cheap turnovers that have let their opposition sort of uh, win the field position or flip the field position battle and, and take games away from them. But they managed to overcome that on the weekend against the Bears and hopefully they can build on that this week, mate. Yeah, I, I think it for me the improved form has to be based around better completions. And 
maybe against some uh, some other teams, it might have been a, a tighter contest last week with the completion rate. But you can only win matches, and uh, you know, like in in terms of um, the control that you've got over the match. If you've won the match, you've won the match. You enjoy it. You celebrate the win. You don't get carried away because you've got another job to do the next week. But as I said, you still got to enjoy the win because that's a that's all you can be asked to do is to win the game. Now, uh, this week against the Bunnies, it again comes down to last week, a must-win game. You, they, If you've lost two games already in this shortened junior rep seasons, that's about the maximum that you can afford. So um, three games to go. This is one of those three. They've got to win it. It's as simple as that, mate. You've got to win out and then hope results go your way in order to make the finals. That's true for the mats and it's true for the ball. Just lastly on the mats, it is a bit unfortunate to see young Don Ferruja drop out of a team. Forty was terrific against the Bears. Scored a, a siphoning 50-meter try from halfway and also did plenty of tidy work from the back. But he'll get his chances uh, both this year and next. So look forward to that one. But moving on to the SG ball, mate, where it kicks off at 11, no, 1 o'clock p.m. What am I saying? Uh, 1 o'clock p.m. out at Redfern or Ironmark High Performance Centre, as it is now known. Uh, a ton of changes for the Bunnies, but on Parramatta's side, they're actually going to have the same 1-17 to that knocked over the Bears, if I'm not mistaken. Starting at fullback, we've got the young Patrick Spence. Then you've got Totona Jr. Wright and Suliasi Aho on the wings. Declan Murray and Freeman Forsyth are the centres. Terence Lafayette, Riley Canning, 5-8 and halfback, respectively. In the front row, Big Lance, Four Lima and Saxon Pryke, who captain the team, are the bookends. Yeya Ayachi is the dummy half. Daniel Reardon and Don Bastratus will be on the edges in the back row with Nicholas Lenars at lock forward. On the bench, Jacob Davis is a dummy half utility with Marcus Atoa, Ibrahim Farkri and Joshua Alzahim adding all the forward depth to the interchange roster. Uh, Dom's twin brother, Raf Bastratus, is the 18th man. They're taking on the Bunnies, who likewise to the Harold Matthews uh, are floating around near the Eels. Eels on six points from their five games in the SG ball. Uh, Rabbitohs are on three points from their six games. The difference here being... The Eels have two draws this year, uh, primarily, and the bye. Uh, so Eels are drawing uh, not just that washed-out game, but the game against the Western Suburbs, was it 60s? Uh, yeah, that yeah. was a draw, yep. Yeah, so that's what's given them the slight edge on the ladder. Unlike the SG ball, uh, the Harold Baffers team, sorry, who were just outside the top six, the Eels do sit in 10th in this division. Uh, they are three points adrift of the top six, which means they've got to take all six points available and hope results fall heavily their way in the coming weeks. But, you know, it starts this week with the Rabbitohs. Eels having a little bit of consistency on a week-to-week basis is nice. We've mentioned before that there's a lot of blue-chip talent for the, the SG ball playing up in the flag. But the guys that have stepped up in their absence doing a good job, I thought Lafayette and Canning ran a fairly tidy ship for the Eels against the Bears. Long kicking game was quite good. Um, Patrick Spence was very busy at fullback. Freeman Forsyth had a decent game at centre. Just a lot of guys chipping in here and there, and it's just a case now of much like with the mats, mate. If you hold on to the ball, if you can control the field battle or the field field position battle a bit more, you'll give yourself every chance against any team in the competition. Mate, the uh, the disappointing parts of the uh, of the performance is uh, like the mats is completions. However, the pleasing part of last week was. Uh, Composure when they needed it, uh, being that the the last uh, five ten minutes of the game where they were playing with a player in the sin bin, and uh, we certainly saw footage where the uh, the the player 
concerned. It was definitely uh, that was Lance Fulima. Uh scored a try next to the post. Yeah, it was Sydney. basically the try that wrapped up that probably mm-hmm. went close to wrapping up the game. Would have given an eight point lead. Referees there in the process appointing to the spot. Looked like he gets a, a late call from the touchy, changes his mind, says held up. Lance is objected to that. <laughs> He's objected in a way that the referee took exception to, mm-hmm. penalised him, sent him to the sin bin. So the Eels have gone from what should have been an eight-point lead for the last eight, nine minutes of the game to having a two-point lead and playing with 12 players for that last period of the game. And, and to be fair to Parramatta, from that point on, I don't think they really gave the West Tigers a look in down too much down their end. I think they they took reasonable control of the game. So mm-hmm. uh, that was that was very pleasing. I, I'd like to think that they will come out of that game with a uh, little bit more confidence about uh, about what they were able to achieve under those uh, under those conditions. Um, it look we haven't seen. Um, anything of the Rabbitohs, but they've got, as you mentioned, a very similar record where uh, they've won only one match during the seasons, much the same as as the Eels. Um, they haven't had their bye, which accounts for the difference in the uh, premiership points in the competition table between the two teams. And as we mentioned, uh, not only do they have to win all their games, but they're probably going to have to rely on some results going their way. But it's a congested table, so you never know what might happen over the next three rounds. And the other thing that I'm not sure has been uh, clarified is that now the competition's back out to 15 teams in the ball and uh, uh, 15 teams in the mats, do we still have a top six or is it back to a top eight? So that obviously changes the uh, run to the finals too for everyone involved. So. I've, got a, I've got a feeling that it is still the top six, um, but... Uh, they haven't got um, the finals Bracket, program in terms mm-hmm. of the dates of the draw yeah. as as part of that. So um, uh, maybe that's something we can uh, we can uh, check with uh, with Joey Grime. It'd be great if uh, we might look to see if we can get Joey on the on the podcast uh, next week and give us a bit of an update on what's happening there. Good call, good call, and that brings an end to the preview for the junior reps. Obviously, the triple header out of Redfern. Hopefully, we'll be on hand to cover that. Uh, torrential weather pending. It's not too bad right now. So, look to TCT for updates for all three games on Saturday via live blogs. But let's move on to the senior football, mate. Starting with the Jersey flag. Parramatta Eels making the trip down to Victoria, down to Melbourne. Uh, it's technically the curtain raiser, but it's not played at Amy Park. It's played adjacent out at uh, Gosh's Paddock, which is right next door to Amy Park. The one and two Parramatta Eels taking on the undefeated Thunderbolts, the Victoria Thunderbolts, one of four teams to have not dropped a game in the opening two rounds of the Jersey flag. Uh, Eels obviously weren't far off that, pending that result against the Dragons in round one, but they're going to be like the SG ball, an unchanged lineup to take on the Bolts, which is always a good thing coming off a really solid win. At fullback and captain the team is Corey Fenning. On the wings, we've got Arthur Miller Stephen and Matthew Komalafi. Josh Tuopolotu gives the experience in the centres, while Charlie Garma brings that youthful energy. On, uh, in the halves, Dontori Louie and Ethan Sanders, who you praised for their strong performances. They're going to be returning as 5'8 and halfback. In the front row, front row we've got Jack Colavardi and David Hollis. Cruz Natili-Schmidt, a dummy half. On the edges, Nikau Raffal and Felix Natili-Schmidt, Cruz's brother. Lock forward is Ryan Jones on the bench. It's the same bench as last week, but some cosmetic changes between who's wearing what numbers, which means David Tui's 14, Jaden Skinner 15, Larry Moagutatia 16, and Brock Parker 17. 
Good to see Lachlan Blackburn back as the 18th man, mate. I think he's been a bit nicked up in the first two rounds, so gives the Eels even more depth across the uh, centre and back row positions there. And yeah, they're taking on the Melbourne or Victorian Thunderbolt, who two from two, so you can't discount them. And it's a home game for them with the Eels having to make that interstate trip. So it's going to be a tough game, we know. But hopefully under Simon Wolford's guidance, our boys can come back with the win. With that Gosh's paddock, I'm wondering that might be the, the oval I walk through after visiting the pub. Oh, almost certainly. Yeah, almost certainly. Yeah. Yeah, so um, uh, familiar with it if that's the park that I walk through on the way from the pub to the ground yeah, back in the uh, 2017 final series. But as I said from the uh, review, quick review I did of their victory over the Sharks, that um, it, it's they're a very tidy unit. I, I think they are um, quite a good team at following game plans. Um, they play some very good structured football. Um, they've got the players in there that can do a bit of the unstructured stuff. Ethan Sanders has been very much at home in his elevation from the SG ball to the Jersey flag. I believe he did all of his preseason training with the uh, Jersey flag team. So that's that's something that um, I think come to the fore in their in their game so far where he's been elevated. And unfortunately, we won't have access to uh, the game itself live through Cock at uh, Melbourne, but hopefully you can get uh, <clears throat> a little bit of video access uh, after the fact, mate, and give us a bit of a recap as to how that game shakes down. Uh, but one game we can go out and see on Sunday at 3 o'clock is the New South Wales Cup round three fixture. Parramatta Eels in fifth going out to take on the Mounties, who are in eighth place coming into this round. Couple of changes for the Eels in this grade as Ryan Carr's team adapts to the uh, sort of injury whims and woes of the first grade team. At fullback, it's Hayes Perham. On the wings, big Solomon Iduki and Zach Sini, who makes his return after missing last game. In the centres, Samuel Loizu and John Olive. The way it's named would suggest that Loizu is swapping sides, but that could just be a cosmetic jersey swap there, who knows. Captain the team from 5'8 is Jordan Rankin with Jack A. Williams in the halves with him. Front row features Ophihiki Ogden, Brendan Hands making his first start at dummy half for the Eels in the New South Wales Cup, sorry, with Kai Rodwell, the other prop forward. Dan Keir, Bryce Cartwright are the edge back rowers. Peter Tatio makes his first start uh, in the New South Wales Cup at lock forward. Very exciting moment for the young man there. On the bench, Luca Moretti, Keaton Walkington-Meads, Jaden Yates, good to see the utility forward back, and Max Lehman, the utility back, the final man on the interchange roster. They're taking on the Mounties, like I mentioned, who I don't believe are affiliated with an NRL club this year, 60s. No, it, we've been used to seeing them affiliated with the Canberra Raiders, mm-hmm. but uh, they've, I mean, they've, they've been strong through their affiliation with the Raiders, but uh, they are a strong club in the Parramatta district. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how their form shapes up this season without that affiliation. They're like the Eels, one from two to start the season. So they haven't, you know, made a terrible start by any means. But looking at the the roster for the Eels, and I look at the, the Mounties, they've got Brad Abbey at fullback, Watson Haletta on the wing. Um, and then after that, it gets a little bit uh, Hymona Hirodi in the front row. But it gets a little bit murky. Dean Madison, obviously uh, Ryan's younger brother. Dane Ackerflower, former Eel. Um, and then James Tuatahi's the 18th man, another former Eel there, a blast from the past. They, they don't have the quality of player that the Eels seem to have across the park. Um, obviously, upsets do happen in this grade as they do happen in all grades. But... Uh, if the Eels get the work and, and you know can control any sort of reasonable amount of possession, you'd think they get the biscuits on on Sunday. Sorry. 
Yeah, yeah. So, uh, as you said, a few blokes that have got uh, a background uh, with either Parramatta or, or some other clubs. But, um, yeah, it, it, you'd like to think this will be a game that the uh, that the Eels might be a bit too strong for them. Now we move on to the two main events, uh, the NRL and NRLW. Let's start with our ladies' 60s. They're going to play their final regulation season of the game. And before we get to the team list, there's a, a important background to this game insofar as how the Eels can make the finals. They come into this round sitting in further on the ladder, but the Titans and Roosters are breathing heavily down their necks. Uh, for the Eels, the other games will be important because they play the last game of round five, meaning they'll know what their, their path to the finals is one way or the other with the Roosters taking on the Dragons at 1 o'clock and then the, on the Saturday before, and then the Titans and Knights meeting at 12 o'clock before on Sunday. Uh, so with all, all three teams on the same amount of competition points, the Eels had the best for and against at a neutral zero. Titans are negative six, Roosters negative nine, which means that if the Eels win and then the other two teams win for and against, it's going to be a factor. If the Eels lose and the other two teams lose for and against, again, is going to be a factor. If the Eels win and only one team wins, they're into the finals. Uh, and if the Eels lose and, and one of those two teams loses, uh, then for and against to be the factor uh, splitting it there. So that's all the different permutations that can happen there. And the other thing too is that if the Eels whoop the Broncos massively, um, potentially the Broncos could miss the finals if the other two teams win. So this is a, a lot of our balls juggling the air for the Eels, but they'll know how it all shakes out uh, when it's all, all said and done before kickoff because those other games take place before. Um, but for the Eels... They look like this with uh, Batil Vadi Welsh at fullback. You've got Tana Navidi and Rakia Horn on the wings. Tiana Penatani is in the centres at number three. And Abby Church starting, but wearing number 15 at the other centre position on the right. Uh, in the halves, you've got Emily Curtin and Maddie Studden. In the front row, it's Philomena Hanese and Kendi Cherrington with Nita Maynard at dummy half. You've got Christian Pio, Jamie Ann Wright on the edges. Been very impressed with Christian Pio, by the way, 60s. And then captain the team from lock forward is Samaya Taufa. On the bench, you've got Shelley Malungi, Serena Naitokotoko, Ellie Johnston, and Christine Pauley. Extended roster features the remaining Eels, Josefi Daniels, Tamaya Kelly-Signs, Mariva Swan, Jade Effort, and Tess Staines, Katrina Fippen, and Therese Eiton. They're taking on the back-to-back-to-back champions, the free time, uh, or the free Peters in the NRLW. They were made to bleed last week by the Gold Coast Titans, 60s. They lost in a two-point uh, defeat. Uh, but you look at that roster, Tamika Upton at fullback, you've got... Uh, Aiken and Brigginshaw in the halves. You've got Millie Ball in the front row. They've just got class across the entire 17. The Eels know that they can take they, they can take it to anyone on their day, but they've just got to sort of bring all the best parts of their football from the first four weeks and then start cutting off the the you know the little issues here and there that you know sort of pegged them back. Whether it was letting the ball bounce against the Roosters or you know a slow start uh, against the Dragons, this is you know their chance to prove they belong in the finals. Yeah, a couple of questions here. Um, Upton didn't play last week. Was that, was that correct for the Broncos against Let the Titans? A quick squeeze. And Just had it in my mind from, the, from you're, watching you're correct. the game. Yeah, Hayley Maddock was uh, playing fullback instead. But to be fair to the Titans, they're also missing their star uh, fullback too. So the playing field was leveled there. Yeah, look, I... I think, well, the next question is, would you want the players to go into the game knowing what they had to do in terms of absolute specifics or would you want them just going in, focusing on It's one of those things where, as a coach, they'll always tell you that the priority is just to win the game, right? 
your focus on the week is just to beat the Broncos and, and do as good a job at attacking that goal as possible. I think in this particular instance, it's not. it wouldn't be terrible to know that uh, your spot is either secure because there was back-to-back losses by the Titans and the Roosters or uh, or the you know explicit route to victory because in the context of that game, there may come a point in this game uh, where the Eels have a penalty goal you know, from you know, 10 minutes to row the post and their four and against needs to be within a certain bracket and the penalty goal gets them there. Um, and so having having that's not, you know, it's better to be forearmed with the knowledge than to, you know, play a, a tight loss and then have a, you know, a penalty goal that you could have made that would have made the difference. Yeah, let, let's be honest. The Titans are going to whoop the Knights. I, I think I think you can you can pretty much count on the Titans to trump the Knights. Yes. Uh, so uh, it then comes down to the ever improving Roosters against the consistent Dragons. Um, I think the Roosters are a, a, a genuine chance every, of leading. Every chance, of, yeah. The Dragons are obviously an excellent team, top of the ladder right now, with that loss to, um, to Brisbane uh, last week, but. The way the Roosters played and how they're finding their confidence in the back end of the season, they're every chance of knocking over the Tricolors. Uh, sorry, yeah. Red V. Yeah, and and this is what I think the the way this has panned out in this shortened five round season is that you've got one team that everyone has beaten in the Newcastle Knights. So they've they what they've thrown into the competition is almost like a buy, um, except that there are teams that have. Uh, I think that the Knights have got progressively worse. And, Whereas other uh, teams have sort of found their groove and, and hit higher yeah. gears. Yeah, yeah. So that the for and against hasn't helped with us in, in that regard because we got the one-point win against them in the very first round, which was played as their home match. So they're, they're fired up. They were um, they performed you know reasonably well in that game. And it's also fair to say that we hadn't hit any sort of groove there um, also, especially in attack. But um, the Eels have definitely got better. Um, very unfortunate that we were down 12 points to nil in early in that game against the Roosters. And, and as it turned out, that was ultimately probably what got them home was that uh, that early period in the game where they, they got that jump. Um, I'm, you know, I, you, you have to, you have to think that the, the Broncos are going to be very, very difficult for the Eels to get over. Um, uh, then again, as as you said last week, the, the Titans proved that it can be done, um, and the Dragons just about... A week before, every, to the last play of the game. Yeah, did everything but beat them. So, um, yeah, uh, essentially, the girls' destiny is in their own hands, despite the fact, as I said, that you've got a, a competition where the... The uh, where the roosters, uh, sorry, where the knights have been the easy beatings and, and have and have given the um, uh, every team uh, uh, the two points, um, and also and and I don't say that with any disrespect to the knights. It's the first season, and it's it's hard to form those sort of combinations. And I'm not all over their team to know, um, you know, whether they've had any uh, injury issues or or team lineup issues, but um, the uh, and then, of course, the, the the other factor was the Roosters' slow start, and then um, that the unexpected Titans' victory, which probably really threw the spanner in the works for for Parramatta, because um, it was a big thing for the Eels to get the the victory over the Titans, which gave them wins over both of the um, new uh, other new teams, teams mm-hmm. this year. So, um, 
yeah, it's that's that's basically meant that the Eels have had to return fire by getting a win over one of the established teams. They'd have already lost to the Dragons, which uh, we spoke about that back at, uh, at that stage, and it was you know very much a weather affected game, and the only try was that um, shocker of a try. Like, it was just an abysmal try where, as far as I was concerned, it was a forward pass out of dummy half that's hit Bertie Vitty Welsh up high when she's put her hands up for it. Um, and I, and I contend that she was in, she was in the, uh, you know, on the line and the pass has gone forward to her. Um, so they've got the win off, you know, just in a, an awful conditions match there. Um, and um, the, the Roosters just proved, just edged out because that first half. Um, so those sort of circumstances of uh, a tough, as we look, as we reflect back on this short season, um, you know, if this was over uh, 12 rounds, uh, 10, 12 rounds, you're probably not going to stress as much about it, but over five rounds, yeah, <laughs> just one of those games. So, uh, means they will probably be sitting reasonably safe this weekend, but you know it's not to be. So their their destiny's in their own hands with the match against the Broncos. Tough assignment. Um, let's see what they can do. Moving on to the NRL, which takes place surprisingly at five thirty PM on Saturday, mate. Between the Melbourne Storm and the Parramatta Eels, it's hard to believe they didn't get one of the top billed slots uh, on Fox or Nine, but it finds itself wedged in the middle of Super Saturday. Um, although I suppose. They didn't. They also went for the knowledge that both teams would be crippled by injury. But here we are, uh, both the Storm and the Eels just reeling from the first two rounds uh, after serious injury. After serious injury has hit the playing stocks for both teams. But for the Storm, uh, and, but who's the main focus going to be on in terms of missing players? Oh, 100 percent Melbourne Storm. Yeah, 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 it's going to be 100 percent Melbourne. Yeah. Despite the fact that the Eels have got seven players out, there's going to, the focus is going to be on. The, play, the players at Melbourne. Yeah, and so. obviously Melbourne coming out of round one against the Tigers, they'd lost George Jennings and Brandon Smith. So George Jennings was a knee. Uh, Brandon Smith was the uh, broken hand. And uh, Christian Welch, their captain, who did his Achilles, you know, awful injury right there. So that that was, you know, big mail out of that round. And then they've backed it up with a COVID outbreak this week, mate. So we'll talk about that as the team list is named. But from 1 to 17, they look like this as of team list Tuesday. Ryan Pappenhausen, fullback, Dean Remia and Xavier Coates on the wings. Ramus Smith and Justin Olam in the centres. Munster and Jerome Hughes provide that wonderful halves combination. Captain the team in the front row was Jesse Bromwich. And he'll have Nelson and Sophie Solomon as the other bookend. Harry Grant was named the dummy half originally, but stay tuned on that. Felice Kafusi and Kenneth Bromwich are the edge back rowers. Josh King, the lock forward. Tyron Wishart, the dummy half in the change. Uh, but once again, stay tuned. Alec McDonald, Trent Loyero, and Tepai Moiroa round out the bench. Extended roster features Chris Lewis, Nick Meany, Jonah Pezzett, Jaden Nicarima, Will Warbick, Brandon Smith somehow, uh, and uh, Suoluvi Ifalogo. But the news immediately after team was Tuesday or on Wednesday morning was that there had been a COVID outbreak in the... Uh, and you can't make this up, but there was a house of hookers for, Cronulla, for, for the Melbourne Storm. And you know, we probably can't use the... The, the nomenclature you probably described that otherwise, but uh, it turns out that Harry Grant has been diagnosed with COVID and uh, Tyron Wishart and Brandon Smith both share residence with him. Um, and Wishart has also been ruled out. And I'm not sure if Brandon Smith is ready to take the field just two weeks after breaking his hand, but 
Um, so well, that means that means only missing one match. What was the original prognosis? For how many matches he three to, three to four weeks was what Enero Physio was pointing out when he saw the sort of the function of the injury. Um, I don't know. If the, I don't know if the Melbourne Storm released an official injury report with uh, uh, Brandon Smith on it. Uh, see if I can quickly have a squeeze while we're chatting. But yeah, it's a surprise. You can't imagine. You can't imagine that that you get a broken hand and you miss one round. It's it just seems ludicrous. Now, I mean, if he's if they think he's fit to play and he plays, well, then you treat him as as you would any other player and step on the hand. No, <laughs> <laughs> but well, I'm sure. I'm sure back in the day that certainly would be the would be the case. You know, the man gets up to play the ball. He's he's got his hand on the ground in front of you. Um, but in all seriousness, you've you've got to think that he's Frank. He's got to be a. It's it's it has. Do you take that sort of a risk so early in the season? Surely um, not. Surely not. No, no. I'd, and, I'd, and I'd have to think that Jaden Nickarima comes into the starting dummy half role. And then maybe they put Nick Manny on the bench and use him as the utility. And if he has to play dummy half, he has to play dummy half. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, the other thing is, too, um, you mentioned he's also a household contact in that COVID house. That, so, that was my understanding is that he was also a household contact. So I don't yeah. see how he can be you know, eligible to play this week, regardless one way or the other. Um, but in, in spite of that, Melbourne, obviously a formidable lineup, mate. Pappenhausen gives him plenty of speed in the wings. Uh, Smith is a, a reasonable centre, but Olam gives him a powerhouse there. Xavier Coates is a rising star. Munster, Hughes, the Bromwich brothers, Sophie Solomona. You know, there, there is just quality across that lineup, regardless of how injury ravaged they are. No way he was going to be taking this game lightly, one way or the other. Um, but- well, look, cracking, cracking back line, um, great spine. Um, and that, that, that's enough know, to beat the majority of teams just- in the NRL, mate. Yeah, yeah, it's. Yeah, as you say, it's it's that's why they always sit on the table where they sit, you know, throw like throw in the coach and and um, such a, a steady and capable um, lineup. It's yeah, you just never take these for granted. Even though the two wins from two last year might, you know, I could jokingly say they're our bunnies now, <laughs> uh, but the reality is, if you if you need a match for your team to lift in intensity, you'd have to say that coming up uh, and and taking on the storm has to be a signal to the Parramatta team, who I think have very much lacked in intensity at the start of their games. Now, neither of the two games have been anything like their performance against Penrith, which was which was full of intent, and um, yeah. Round one, we played touch football in the first half against the Titans. Um, forget, forget the 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 ball movement and the tries. Um, my take out of that was we weren't prepared to play a physical game of football until the second half in that one, and I almost took the same had the same take except that we weren't playing a try, trying to play touch football. We weren't engaged in the physicality against the Sharks. They they got over the top of us through the middle and on the edge last week. So um, I think, as I said, if you're looking for a team to inspire you as an opposition to really lift in intensity, um, then Melbourne is probably who we needed this week. It, it might seem a crazy thing, but 
uh, there's a part of me that's glad that it is the storm that we play. It's interesting um, because the, the slow starts, obviously, Parramatta being, uh, you know, culpable of that 100%. But Melbourne themselves, uh, they got two wins from two starts, but I can't imagine Craig Bellamy would have been thrilled with what he saw against the West Tigers and especially the South Sydney Rabbitohs in round two. Uh, yeah. It's, it's it, been a... You, I was going to say... Nothing to like, nothing, nothing to like except the victory. Yeah, exactly, and the two points are obviously incredibly valuable. But as the what you know, as a work in progress sort of thing, he wouldn't have been very happy with what he'd seen. And it's been an issue across the entire NRL. It feels like, perhaps maybe the Newcastle Knights are the exception, but even Penrith looked uh, quite clunky at times against the Dragons in round two. And I know they're missing uh, Nathan Cleary, which is a huge you know issue. But the team is still absolutely stacked to the brims uh, outside of him. So yeah, a, a number of teams starting somewhat slow. They are getting the, the two points on a weekly basis. Uh, for the Eels, maybe it's a function of Brad Arthur talking about trying to pace themselves better this year. We're going to have to wait and see how that plays out. But this week, you have to think they're going to be slipping into a higher gear as they take on the Storm. And in order to do that, the Eels look like this, mate. Uh, one of the two captains, Quinton Gufferson at fullback. On the wings, you've got Wanga Blake and Bailey Simonson, Will Penasini, Tom Opicic in the centres. Dylan Brown and Mitchell Moses named in halves. Looks like Mitch is okay with that cork he sustained against the Sharks. Uh, Big Reagan Campbell-Gillard and the other co-captain of the team, Junior Paulo, in the front row of Reed Money. Sean Lane as I Papa Lee at the edge back rowers. Nathan Brown back into his familiar starting position at lock forward. On the bench, the Eels go with plenty of beef this week. Mac Hesse, Makatoa, Wiramu Greg, Ray Stone and Oregon Kafusi. Jake obviously unavailable due to the appendectomy. And Brad, uh, Brad looking towards some extra muscle of Woody coming onto the bench, Wiramu Greg. Extended roster is pretty much the last of our healthy remaining players, mate. Bryce Cartwright, Brendan Hands, Kai Rodwell, Hayes Perham, Solomon Inoduki, Luca Moretti, and Samuel Loizu. Yeah, I mean, nothing uh, there too surprising. Eels making enforced changes. Obviously, Jake Hurt um, bringing in Wiramu Gregg. Uh, we didn't pick up any uh, wingers this week, so Wanga Blake stays on the flank. I still think this is a team that can get the job done. I think, job done, sorry. I think they're going to be fired up after being outmuscled by the Sharks in what was a very emotional game or emotionally charged game for the gum, the Cronulla our franchise. But yeah, they're going to have this one circled. Um, they've had some great performances against Melbourne Storm in recent times, even going past just the two games you spoke about last year. They've uh, really started to stick it to the, you know, the, the Storm in sudden death football too now, which has been a, you know, one of the big turning points for the club. And I think that they're going to be you know, really, really dialed in this week at 5.30 p.m. Yeah, look, you'd like to think so. I, I mean, be, before I said when there wasn't too much to for, to like about the Storm's victory, I I should have also exempted Xavier Coates because he looks like he could be a revelation for them out on the how wing. Did, how did the NRL let this happen, mate? How did how did no one throw silly money at Xavier Coates? Any of the the West Tigers or any of those mid table clubs that love to splash silly contracts elsewhere? How could you let Craig Bellamy get his hands on? You know, another sort of uh, Inglis or Folau sort of prototypical player. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, you'd have to assume that they're. Well, I, I still can't believe it myself. Um, uh, I don't. I don't know who manages him. Whether he was very pleased simply to be able to go to the Storm in terms of his career development, rather than looking at the size of the contract, but. He looks like he's going to be an absolute superstar for the Storm and whether he becomes someone who moves from the wing to another position, uh, time will tell. But as you said, it still looks like we would have the team that should be able to get the job done, but they won't get the job done if they 
if they start without intent, mm-hmm. if they allow the storm to get on the front foot. And this is where the forwards really need to dial in and and be stamping their authority early in the game. I'm, I'll be interested in who the Eels actually take down there in the extended squad as well because you'd have to think there'd there. be another, on top of the 18th man, that they would take um, another uh, couple of players. Or 20th of player, yeah. Yeah, just because of the fact that it's so far away from home that... Um, if something goes wrong, you need to have yeah. those extra resources on hand. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, yeah, uh, I mean, what's your what's your tip? I mean, you got to back the Eels to get the job done here. Melbourne, obviously, one of the you know real monoliths in the NRL across all 16 franchises, but Parramatta have matched up pretty favourably in recent times. Uh, they certainly get up for the game. I think they'll be looking to back up out of that loss against Cronulla and start, you know, getting into a, a higher gear as a team and on an individual basis as well. Uh, I'm thinking, uh, you know, you, you can't get too carried away of how much you're going to beat the Storm because it's just that good. If you get to a double-digit victory, or margin of victory, double digits, it's a very strong accomplishment. That's what I'm going to go with with a 26-16 to 16 win for the Eels, mate. In terms of the first try score, it is a bit of a tough one. Um, but... I think it should be Wonga Blake matched up against Xavier Coates, right? Blake is on the left for us, Coates on the right for them. I think, I mean, as good as Coates is, you've got to believe that our man Wonga will um, you know, get his own as well, so I'll back him for first try scorer. Okay, well, I'm I'm being a little bit more conservative. I'm tipping a, a, a very close game, a 16-14 victory to the Eels, so I, I'm just thinking one goal in it. And uh, first try score. Look, I was going to go Wonga Blake as well. So I'm going to just, I, I need to provide a, a little bit of variety on that. So um, I'll go Will Penasini. Yeah, I wouldn't, I mean, I'd be very happy to see young Will getting over. Um, maybe we'll start slinging the ball a bit to him uh, more against the Storm. I wonder, he, he met Justin Allen last time in uh, round 24, I believe it was, and, and acquitted himself pretty well. So I'm looking forward to that matchup as well. But yeah, so we're both tipping the win. Eels obviously have this game circled from when the draw was initially announced. Melbourne, one of the ultimate litmus tests in the competition, regardless of how they're travelling in terms of player health. They've still got plenty of strike power, plenty of star power across their 1-17. to Like I said, kick off 5.30pm on Saturday. You can catch this one on Fox or KO. Make sure you're there to watch it. Catch all the uh, fallout, all the instant reaction, all the uh, sort of match dissection on TCT as always. We, um, we actually have so many sort of post-match content or so much post-match content these days, mate, it makes my head spin at times. Uh, between yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been pretty full on. It's uh, well, What have we, we got? Uh, we got grades, musings, um, and for the NRLW, the gin and logic. We've got uh, Shelly does it from the stands. You do you dabble into it with either Spotlight or Bumpers Up. We've got Colmac stat reactions. I'm actually starting to get across the two hands now. So that's uh, any any more than that might be beyond my uh, academic excellence. <laughs> you know, it's like using the toes. So it's a. Uh, You'd have to think that if there's something you want to talk about with regard to the eels, that you've you've got the topics covered in amongst all of that. So <laughs> something's gonna something's gonna um, you know suit your tastes and will will have you talking in uh, on TCT. And that's and, obviously not, uh, not not to mention the uh, instant reaction podcast that we always drop win or lose. So 
uh, we've got something to cover your base one way or the other. And as always, feel free to join the conversation on the Cumberland Throw. Always happy to hear from fans across Australia and the world too, as it happens to be. The the Parramatta Eels uh, got that worldwide power these days, mate. Yeah, and and just before we sign off, um, we'll mention it again next week. But we'll be back at Paraleagues after the uh, game against the St George Dragons in uh, in round four, and uh, we look forward to um, maybe catching up with some more people in person. Now, thanks to everyone that came up and said g'day after the uh, first round against the Titans. Uh, as I said, look forward to seeing some more people after, back at Paraleagues in Jack's Bar and Grill after the game against the, the Dragons. Well said, mate. And as always, thanks for taking the time to stop by and give us a listen. It means the world to us. Um, yeah, we, we love you guys being part of TCT as a whole, as a community. And as always, you stay safe. We'll catch you guys on the next episode.